Arguably the best recruiter in the game strikes once more. Steve Sarkeesian has landed Isaiah Bond, the number one wide receiver, number two overall player in the portal. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, Isaiah Bond, one of the most explosive players in the country, the number two overall player in the portal, has committed to the 40 acres. Jade Barron, one of the best defensive backs, on this football team the last two years will be returning for the 2024 season and he will be rocking a new jersey number we discussed that on the podcast last but not least in the last segment michigan and alabama fans have made some very interesting comments on my youtube channel the last week so i respond read and react to some of my favorite ones live on the show all of that and more on today's episode of locked on longhorns part of the locked on podcast network your team every day so before we get into the subject matter, um, I know most of my viewers and listeners are in the state of Texas. I know we're expecting some inclement weather in the state of Texas over the next couple of days. Some areas have already gotten it, right? So I hope everybody's staying warm, comfortable, and safe. If you're off work today, please enjoy it. If you go to work today, please try your best to enjoy it, right? Also, before we start talking about Isaiah Bond, it's the off season officially in college football, and I will be here throughout the entire offseason on that offseason grind, trying my best to help bridge the gap between the 2023 season and the 2024 season for you. So everything big that happens in the offseason, I will be here to cover it. All I ask in return is if you're watching on YouTube, you can see at the bottom, my current goal is to get to 4,000 subscribers. I have bigger goals than that, but I got to get I got to get to 4,000 before I can get to 4,001. So if you're watching on YouTube, if you have not subscribed yet, please stop what you're doing and subscribe. Help me get to 4,000 subscribers and beyond. And once again, thank you to everybody um, who has helped get me to this point, who has helped support me thus far. I am one month away from being two years in the game on Locked on Longhorns. It's crazy how time flies. So thank you for all of the support thus far, but I have bigger goals and I'm hoping that you can help me get to 4,000 subscribers and beyond. Now, talking about Isaiah Bond and, you know, like I said earlier, Steve Sarkeesian is arguably you know, the best recruiter in the game right now, based on what he's done the last three years um, out of the high school ranks and in the transfer portal, completely flipping the culture and the roster at the University of Texas, making them one of the scariest teams moving forward in college football. And he struck again over the weekend with Isaiah Bond coming to the University of Texas. And of course, because it's Texas, right, and it's, and it's NIL in this era, there's going to be a lot of talk about, you know, how Texas paid him and tampered to get him to enter the portal and leave the University of Alabama. And obviously, in this era, he didn't come to the University of Texas without a nice chunk of change to play football here at the 40 Acres, right? But I thought that Isaiah Bond had one of the most profound quotes I've ever heard from a recruit in terms of his decision to come to the 40 acres and play for Steve Sarkeesian. Now, his first quote was that this decision was 100% based on Nick Saban's retirement, right? And I'm not sure if that's the case, right? I'm not calling Isaiah Bond a liar necessarily. I just think that that timeline is very short, right? Like that's a very short timeline. If you found out with like everybody else, and it was truly a surprise that Nick Saban was retiring on Wednesday, 
to be in a Lamborghini in Austin <laughs> by Saturday and then committed by Sunday. Like I said, this is a very quick turnaround, right? So there's a lot of people on the Alabama side that feel like this was going to happen, whether Nick Saban retired or not. And based on this all happening in like three to four days, <laughs> I have a feeling that Isaiah Bond probably was likely going to enter the transfer portal regardless. But I thought that his quote about this being a business decision, like I said, was very profound. So he told ESPN and Pete Thamel, that this was a business decision. And just like the business world, you make the best decision for your company. My company right now is my draft stock. I feel like I'm putting myself in position to increase that and have better draft stock. And he is 100% correct. When you look at the current landscape, right, and you look at Quinn Ewers and Jalen Milrow, I could ask 100, 200, 300. It really doesn't matter. Wide receiver recruits or just wide receivers who play the position. If your draft stock was on the line, right, if you had one year to increase your maximum earning potential on your rookie contract, would you rather do it under Jalen Milrow in a new system? Or would you rather do it under Quinn Ewers in year three in Steve Sarkeesian's system? To me, it's a no-brainer. It's similar to the decision that Jordan Addison made after they won the ACC championship and Kenny Pickett went on to the NFL, right? Do I stay here after I win the Bolitnikoff and try to improve my draft stock? Or do I go play with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley at USC, right? It's a no-brainer. When you look at it in the same amount of games last year, 14, Texas had 4,047 passing yards, right? That includes the two games from Malik Murphy. Bama had 3,086 team passing yards, right? So in the same amount of games last year, Texas had almost 1,000 more passing yards than Alabama, right? That's almost 1,000 more yards of opportunity for Isaiah Bond and everybody else in that wide receiver room. Once again, it's a no-brainer. Last year, as Alabama's number two wide receiver, Isaiah Bond had 48 catches for 668 yards and four touchdowns. Adonai Mitchell, as Texas' number one wide, number two wide receiver, or I guess you could say 1B, right? 55 catches for 845 yards and 11 touchdowns. So it's not even close in terms of the team passing yards. And it's not even close in terms of the production of your number two or one B receiver, right? If he is being 100% honest, which I believe, right? Because he sounds very profound about this being a business decision and this being um, truly about, you know, maximizing his earning potential on his rookie contract, then Texas provides a lot more opportunity for him in the passing game than Alabama will next year. And I think he'll be a lot more productive under Quinn Ewers than he will under Jalen Miro. It's not necessarily disrespect to Jalen Miro. It's just all the credit in the world to what Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers have built in this passing game over the last two seasons. And when you look at what Isaiah Bond brings to this offense, he brings that deep playmaking that you're losing to Xavier Worthy in the NFL draft. Last year, five catches of 30 more, thirty yards or more for Alabama. And I just talked about how they only had 3,086 team passing yards. So he was definitely their most explosive option in the passing game. And he made, in my opinion, the biggest play in college football last year, right? Like one of the biggest appeals of bringing in Adonai Mitchell out of the transfer portal was that in the biggest games, on the biggest stages he performed, right? He had four touchdowns in four college football playoff games coming to the University of Texas. And of course, in the one college football playoff game that Texas played, he scored one as well, going five for five in those games he played, right? You know that Isaiah Bond can make plays at the highest level because you saw him make probably the clutchest and biggest play in college football last year, right? Fourth and 31, on the road, in the Iron Bowl, with an SEC championship, college football playoff appearance, and national championship or the ability to play for a national championship on the line. All of that goes out the window if Alabama does not convert a fourth and 31 to save their season. 
And all the credit in the world goes to Jalen Milrow. He made an amazing throw, right? But, <laughs> but this is a two-man connection. And the way that Isaiah Bond played that in the end zone and made that catch over the defender and got down in the end zone to make sure that Alabama went to the SEC championship and ultimately that vaulted them in the college football playoffs, to me, with everything on the line, that was the biggest play in college football last season. And now you have that type of playmaker on your side that has made those level of plays at the highest level. So, you know, this is a wide receiver room that we had question marks about going into next season. But when you bring in a player like Isaiah Bond, a lot of those question marks get answered real quickly. When you look at Xavier Worthy, right, who Isaiah Bond is going to most closely replace, right, in terms of that deep potential and just that speed receiver that can do everything in Steve Sarkeesian's system and really at any po any moment can hit his head on the goalpost, right? In three years, Xavier Worthy's best numbers across the board were 75 catches. He did that in 2023, 1,014 yards. He did that in 2023 and 12 touchdowns, which he did in 2021. I've already made one bold prediction for the 2024 season that our offensive line will win the Joe Moore Award. I'm going to make another bold prediction that Isaiah Bond will outperform Xavier Worthy in two out of three of the best metrics he ever put up at the University of Texas. I'm not sure if Isaiah Bond will score 12 touchdowns in the 2024 season, but he will surpass the 75 catches that Xavier Worthy had last year, and he will surpass the 1,014 yards that Xavier Worthy had last year. So next year, Isaiah Bond has the potential to put up a better season than Xavier Worthy ever did in three years at the 40 Acres. That's no disrespect to Xavier Worthy at all. He was an amazing player, but I just think Isaiah Bond brings that type of playmaking to this system in year three under Quinn Ewers, right? And when you look at it now, the outlook of the wide receiver room, like I said, it completely changes. You had a lot of question marks going into next season. You still probably have some question marks, but a lot of those were answered when Isaiah Bond committed to the 40 acres. Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, and Jonte Cook are your likely three-man rotation in three years under Steve Sarkeesian. We haven't seen more than a three-man rotation be used right so i'm not going to expect all of a sudden four or five wide receivers to be heavily involved next year so isaiah bond matthew golden and jonte cook look like your likely three-man rotation once again i think ryan wingo deandre moore and ryan niblet are most likely competing for that fourth spot and then you have freddie dubose parker livingstone and aaron butler as high quality depth so you have nine very talented wide receivers in that room obviously they're not all going to play next year obviously you know there's probably a couple of them that will end up transferring or you know not being what they, we expected them to be at the 40 acres, but that's why you recruit at the level that Steve Sarkeesian is. You just continue to give your, your give yourself more chances at it, right? And with nine super talented wide receivers in this room, you would expect that four or five of them will end up being very productive at the 40 acres. And Isaiah Bond certainly will be one of those, a huge pickup in the portal for the Texas Longhorns, and they are absolutely cooking heading into the SEC next year. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns once again is brought to you by Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we talk just for a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. This is scary. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if one of my family members or somebody I knew closely got sick while the supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinuses, skin infections, among others. This stuff 
could happen to any of us. Visit JaceMedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to JaceMedical.com and use offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. All right, really the two big decisions that we were waiting on, you know, after the first wave of players announcing they were going to the NFL draft were Quinn Ewers and Jade Barron. And I thought, you know, that Jade Barron would enter the NFL draft. Pretty much everybody he came to Texas with or performed, you know, at Texas with, you know, at a high level on the defense has moved on um, either via the transfer portal or the NFL draft. And I thought Jade Barron would make that decision as well. We knew Quinn Ewers was likely coming back. We had started to hear that reporting throughout the course of the season, but Jade Barron shocked me and maybe some other Longhorn fans um, by returning to the University of Texas for one more year, right? I think he announced this on Saturday um, and it was a really big announcement and it was cool. One, because this is a huge advantage for the Texas football team, having a playmaker like Jade Barron coming back next year, providing experience and what'll be a young secondary and really on a young defense period, right? You know, Jade Barron could be that stalwart and that veteran leader on the back end who's also a really good football player. But we saw in the announcement that Michael Huff is blessing Jade Barron to wear that number seven next year on the 40 acres. So it's going to be really nostalgic to see him in that number and hopefully uh, some of the magic from Michael Huff in that number seven on the defensive side of the field will uh, translate to Jade Barron and, you know, he'll possibly have his best season on the 40 acres in 2024 in the SEC. Like I said, this is just a huge advantage for a Texas football team who, like the wide receiver room, had question marks in the DB room going into next season. And a lot of those question marks get answered when you bring back a player like Jade Barron of his caliber, you know, of his caliber. The reports I've heard is that him and his camp, me included, I'm not in his camp, <laughs> feel like he should be a third round pick or higher. And the tape likely shows that over the last two seasons that he has played at a level that, you know, you would draft in the first 90, I guess, with six picks of the draft. Right. I think like Jade Barron has definitely been one of the best 96 best players in college football over the last two seasons. But I think there are questions about his speed and athleticism covering deep down the field. Right. As a corner, you can't just play around the line of scrimmage as a corner. You can't just play in the box. Right. And I think we saw in the Washington game in the Oklahoma State game and some other games down the stretch, that there were times where Jade Barron was taken advantage of and covered specifically in the intermediate to deeper parts of the field. Now, I do think a lot, you know, that had to do with that, and I'm not making excuses because I know he wouldn't make this excuse, but I think a lot that had to do with him struggling in coverage in the latter part of the season, um, especially in the deeper parts of the field, was he was dealing with the injury, right? I can't remember if it was the Kansas State game or the TCU game, it might have even been the U of H game, right? But there, it, I think it actually was the U of H game, but there was a game last year where he really didn't play the entire game, right? And I think that's when we first found out that he was nicked up. And then I think, yeah, when the U of H game got close at the end, he had to come in um, and, you know, help secure the victory. But that shows that he wasn't 100% healthy last year, just like Jalen Ford, right? Where we felt like Jalen Ford might have taken a step back in certain areas. He wasn't 100% healthy. And I think that showed on the tape for Jade Barron. And him and his camp feel like, if I'm healthy, and I perform at a high level on this Texas football team next year, there's no question that I'll be a third-round pick or higher in the 2025 NFL draft. So it makes a ton of sense for him to come back to the University of Texas if he feels like he can get a third-round grade or higher in next year's draft. And obviously it makes a lot of sense for the University of Texas to bring back 
uh, a player of Jade Barron's calendar, uh, caliber. Jeez, I keep saying calendar, I think. Oh, my gosh. Caliber, caliber, caliber. To me, this locks in Malik Muhammad and Jade Barron as starters next year in your corner rotation. I think Malik Muhammad had did enough as a true freshman to bring him back as a starter um, on the outside in 2024. And I think, obviously, with Jade Barron coming back, he's going to be your starting you know, star or nickel corner going into the SEC next season. On the other side or on the outside, I'm not sure if Terrence Brooks did enough to solidify his spot going into next season. Obviously, he'll have the leg up and he'll be the most likely starter. But I think there will be interesting competition at that position, right? I think Jalen Gilbo can provide some competition. I think Kobe Black, as a true freshman, um, well, you know, a top 40 player in the country with that pedigree, can provide some competition. And then you have, you know, two other true freshmen in Santana Wilson and Wardell Mack who will be, you know, hungry as well to get on the field and get some playing time. So, you know, I think, like I said, Malik Muhammad and Jade Barron will be locked in as starters, but Terrence Brooks, Jalen Gilwell, and Kobe Black should all compete for a starting spot at that other outside corner position next season. And with Barron's return, this likely makes Andrew Makuba and Derek Williams your two starting deep safeties, right? There was a lot of talk about if Jade Barron moved on to the National Football League, then Andrew Makuba would kind of play that traditional star or nickel role and play a lot closer to the line of scrimmage rather than being a traditional deep safety, right? But now that you have Jade Barron in that role, that eliminates that need specifically for Andrew Makuba in that position. And so it would make sense for him and Derek Williams to likely be your starting safeties on the back end going into next season. And then you have players like Xavier Filsami, Michael Tav, Jelani McDonald, and Warren Robertson who can come in and be a part of that rotation as well. So, you know, just the same way, once again, that Isaiah Bond provided a lot of clarity to that wide receiver room and wide receiver rotation, Jade Barron adds a lot of clarity to our rotation on the back end in terms of the corner position. And for the third straight year at the University of Texas, we will have one of the most underrated playmakers on one of the best teams in the league at that position. Love Jade Barron, love what he brings to the game in terms of production on the field, physicality, toughness, leadership, culture. He just embodies what we've built at the University of Texas the last four years in this Texas football program. And I can't wait to see him cap it off for one with one more great year at the 40 acres. A quick word from our sponsors. And then we're getting into Michigan and Alabama fans, right? They've left some great comments on my YouTube channel over the last week. So I got to read and react to some of them on the show. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet and make money, like live same-game parlays, finding bets in the new Explore tab, making a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, the official partner of the National Football League. All right, so I did two episodes last week. One was about Texas being a better job than Alabama in lieu of Steve Sarkeesian being a candidate, in air quotes, for the Alabama job. And what could Texas learn from Michigan after Michigan beat up on Washington in the national championship, right? So every comment I'm reading is a result of one of those two videos. And depending on the comment, you could probably tell which video it came from, right? So here goes nothing. Same, what could have Texas Longhorns learned from Michigan? The same thing Ohio State should have learned three years ago get stronger in the trenches. What I want to know is what's in that refrigerator right now, Gatorade, Orange Fanta, 
and some dominoes. Not much. <laughs> Good show. Just one correction. Ohio State did not miss a chip shot field goal at the end of the national championship game against Georgia. It was a 50-yard attempt, and he shanked it. I am so grateful for this comment because I came on here a million times and said it was like a 37, 38-yard attempt. I actually went back and looked, and it was a 50-yard field goal. So there is no guarantee, I guess, you know, for a college kicker that he's going to make a 50-yard field goal and C.J. Stroud and Ohio State would have went to the championship to play TCU instead of Georgia. And, in fact, now that I remember it being a 50-yard field goal, I remember C.J. Stroud making that long scramble and then them kind of playing super conservative to make sure they got that 50-yard field goal instead of keeping the ball in C.J. Stroud's hand. So I will say that, you know, there is no guarantee that he would have made the 50-yard field goal and he didn't even give them a chance by shanking it. Um, but it's a lot further away than I thought. Right. So it's not a foregone conclusion that if he would have showed up and made that kick <laughs> or, or put his whole foot on the ball, that Ohio State would have been in the national championship because 50 yards is hard. But he still, as a kicker on scholarship, should make a 50 yarder. And like I said, Ohio State would have beat TCU anyway. Washington's defense was not ready for Michigan's running game. I warned them that it was better than anything they had seen. Not sure who he warned. And Penix injuries were not healed. And then as the game went on, he just broke down. As a Michigan fan, I wish Washington had been fully healthy because I feel like we beat a team that was not ready. You know, I love the honesty there, right? Like we're human beings, right? And I'm sure there are some Michigan fans that watched the national championship and obviously were very happy for their team, but felt like that was a little bit too easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like that, that kind of how it felt, right? Like just like Georgia fans last year, right? Like I'm sure they were happy as hell to win the national championship, but probably a lot of them were like, damn, could we have gotten a better game? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, could we have gotten somebody better than TCU? So, you know, I love the honesty there, right? Like as a Michigan fan, you know, some of them probably were watching it like, damn, could we have gotten a better opponent? Like, could we have played Ohio state again? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Something like that. So, I love the honesty there, right? Like, even as a fan, every win doesn't feel good, right? So I love that he said that. Even though it's a national championship, so it does feel good, right? But I get what he's saying. Michigan's defense dominated Alabama more than Washington's. The only reason that game is close is Michigan's special teams tried everything to lose that game. Alabama only had 280 yards of offense, including overtime. Washington was over 300. Washington offense played better than Alabama against Michigan defense. You know, I, I do think that Michigan dominated that game, and you can, you know, make the cliche saying that the score was not as close as, you know, it ended up being, even though they ended up winning by like 21 points. All I will say is once again, Michigan had over 200 rushing yards and was dominating them. And it was a seven point game for a long time, right? That game was begging for Michael Penix Jr. and his receivers to be elite on the offensive end and take over that game and put pressure on Michigan and J.J. McCarthy to have to throw the ball, right? Even with 200 rushing yards, that was the landscape of the national championship game. But you give credit to the Michigan pass rush because they never allowed Michael Penix Jr. to get comfortable or make that one play, right? But I, I feel like we're just over-exaggerating how big of a blowout that was, right? For like 20 game minutes, that was a 10 to 7 point game, right? Any elite quarterback and elite offense in that moment would have stepped up, made plays, and changed the course of that national championship game. So once again, give credit to Michigan's defense because they did not allow Michael Penix Jr. to make that one play, even though when they did it, they called a you know weak holding call, but it's the offseason, whatever. All right, one sack, but 18 hurries. Saban said sacks are overrated. Hurries are the key. Yes, there's definitely is obvious that there was a different level of pressure 
that, you know, Michigan got on Washington rather than Texas did, regardless of what pro football focus is. Harbaugh has the best total staff in the country, outcoached even saving and developed players better. You certainly can make an argument that Michigan has one of the uh, best coaches staffs in the country in regards to Texas and Alabama. It's a better job because he's not following a legend, period. No, it's a better job because Texas is a better job currently, but <laughs> that certainly plays a part in it. Uh, this is an Alabama fan, Bama boy, 55. Six national titles is hard to ignore, bro. I said that Texas moving forward, if we could live in the moment and move forward, then Texas is a better program currently and moving forward than Alabama, right? But of course, Bama boy 55 can't live in the moment, right? And I understand it, right? Six national titles is hard to ignore, bro. It is hard to ignore, right? It just has nothing to do with the two programs moving forward, right? Don't feel bad, but Bama is always going to have that over everybody. It's the facts. Don't like it. Beat it. We did <laughs> in Tuscaloosa in week two. NIO allegations you're referring to is false. Saban was more so concerned about the players that aren't a Bryce Young mold. They fixed that by striking a deal that will take care of players after football. You really should do your research or ask questions if you don't have concrete answers. I didn't state an opinion. I stated a fact that Nick Saban in two straight years got on a public platform and begged for NIL money while disparaging his peers or sneak dissing his peers. That is a fact, right? The only opinion I said is that it would seem to me that Alabama is not in as good of shape NIL-wise as Texas because Steve Sarkeesian has not had to get up on a public platform and sneak diss his peers to get NIL money, right? That's the only opinionated stated I make. So if you have data <laughs> that shows that Alabama is doing better than Texas financially or NIL-wise, then I'll come on here and say I was wrong. But other than that, I didn't state an opinion that could be wrong. I stated a fact that Nick Saban in the last two years had to beg and sneak this his peers for NIL money. Steve Sarkeesian hasn't had to do that. And he's built a great roster, including Isaiah Bond, who left <laughs> because he didn't want to play or continue to be developed at the University of Alabama. I promise you the only guy Bama wanted was in Washington. The internet created the whole idea Saban was going after your boy, which is Steve Sarkeesian or Kirby Smart. Whether that's true or whether that's how you're coping with, you know, Kalen DeBoer obviously being Alabama's fourth decision, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's okay, right? But I want to challenge you to say that if they were never interested in Kirby Smart or Steve Sarkeesian, is that a good decision by Alabama's leadership to not even consider Kirby Smart? or Steve Sarkeesian, who both won championships as assistants at the University of Alabama, you see, like, what happens when you talk out of the side of your neck? It makes you look crazy, right? Like, why would that be a good thing for Alabama not to reach out to Steve Sarkeesian or Kirby Smart? Nobody in college football plays like Michigan, not even in the Big Ten. I will give you credit for that. I will acknowledge that, especially the fact that they were running an NFL defense brought over by the Ravens, <laughs> like, in college football. Like, I think Dominique Foxworth said that, like, Washington had no chance like Michigan was out there doing things that you don't even see at the college level. Right. I remember Marvin Harrison Jr. After the game. Right. Said the same thing. Like they were throwing coverages at me. I've never seen. Right. The fact is the Michigan defense was running the Baltimore Ravens defense and they had the athletes to run it at a high level. And, you know, I'm not sure if Texas or. Well, I guess Texas, right, because they beat Washington and, and Alabama. I'm not sure if Texas would have fared any differently against Michigan. But, you know, like a lot of people have said, they're running an NFL defense with NFL-level players at the college level, and there's just not a lot that college offenses can do to stop them. I'm telling you, football is changing. It's going old school again, blocking, tackling, good play on the line of scrimmage, run the ball, keep the O off the field, and wear them down in the fourth. You can see the NFL moving to this as well. 
more and more. Now, I 100% agree. You're seeing a lot of the too high safeties. You're seeing a lot of the explosive plays being taken out of college football. I mean, out of football, period. And it really just comes down to who can methodically move down the field, who can play turnover-free football, and who can win in the line of scrimmage, right? So I completely agree with that, that we saw the era of explosive, you know, high-powered passing football. And I think we're still going to be in a passing era moving forward. But the game has kind of gotten back to who wins at the end is physicality, right? Defense stopping the run and running the ball for sure, right? And, and limiting explosive plays and turnovers. Like, you know, we've seen the Chiefs in just three, four years completely change how they win football games, right? From being the greatest passing offense really almost in the history of the league to being a defensive-led, run the ball, and then let Patrick Mahomes make plays outside of that type of football team, right? So I completely agree uh, that football is changing, right? All right, let me read one more comment. There is no question that Saban is the GOAT. This is a fact and not debatable. Texas is the premier school, but culture-wise, it is not, at least not yet. Sarkeesian is going nowhere. The money at Texas is too good. I, you know, I, I think you can make an argument that, like, as a program and historically, Alabama historically, like, is a better job and has more football culture than the University of Texas. But once again, that's why I preface my statement with living in the moment and moving forward, right? Because as of January 15th, moving forward, especially right now, Texas is just a better destination than the University of Alabama. And Isaiah Bond agrees with me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Once again, if you're still listening, if you're still on YouTube, please help me get to 4,000 subscribers. In return, I'll make sure I'm here the entire offseason on that offseason grind on Locked On Longhorns.